1: Welcome to episode 165 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. So, a little backstory on today's episode. So, if you remember back to Earlier this summer, I had a guest on Crystal, and Crystal's sister died by suicide, and she was putting on a suicide summit, and I was interviewed as part of that summit. So later, she sent me a little thank you note for being on the summit, and she said, Have you ever met Chloe's mom or heard of Chloe's mom? She has a pretty large Instagram following, but she had also been interviewed in the past on one of Crystal's summits. So she thought the two of us would be a pretty good fit, and it turns out she was quite right. So I went on Mello's website, afterchloe.com, and looked up some information on her and quickly realized that she would be a great guest on the show I just know that you will so appreciate all of the different insights that she has had since she lost her infant daughter, Chloe, 11 years ago. I also do want to bring up again our upcoming live stream. So it is coming up now less than two weeks from the date of this release. So on Tuesday, November 22nd at 2 p.m. Pacific time, 5 p.m., eastern time I will be having a little interview with Gwen and we will be talking about things really that we're thankful for Uh, we want you to answer this phrase for this I am thankful so you can get involved a couple of different ways actually you can just come on the live stream and post your comments there and we will have a nice discussion I'm sure If you want, you can also email us ahead of time. Email me at marciandandysmom.com or you can go on social media like Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and send your little comments there as well. I do look forward to having a great discussion. But for now, just sit back and listen to Mello, Chloe's Mom. Mm -hmm. so much to my guest, Mello, for coming on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. I'm just delighted to have you.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Marcy.
1: Yeah. So why don't you start out by just telling us a little bit about yourself and about your daughter, Chloe?
2: Well, my name is Mello Garcia, and I live in Southern California, and I never wanted to be a mom. Believe it or not. Really? And I met Chloe's dad when I was 34, had already been married twice. And I had kind of sworn off ever being married again. You know, I was very career driven my whole life. And I met Chloe's dad, and he was different from any other man that I had met. And he was very family oriented. He was the first Hispanic man I'd ever dated. And I am Mexican American myself. And we came from the same community. Mm-hmm. I kind of fell in love with, with, with my own culture. And he reminded me a lot of my father. And so I really, really found myself wanting a family with him. Yeah, and yeah. so we quickly fell in love and we got married. It was his second marriage. It was my third. And right away he wanted to have a baby. And so we quickly started trying and we had one ectopic pregnancy, and then we had one miscarriage. And during that time, um, his nephew was brutally murdered. And then my dad, about six months later, passed away very suddenly on June 27th, 2010. And about two weeks later, I thought it was the grief that was really just like hindering me. And we had already been looking at fertility clinics back home in Las Vegas, because my parents still resided in Southern California at the time. And we'd come to take care of my mom because the night my dad died, she had a massive heart attack. They'd been married three days shy of 43 years. And so she was in the hospital and I just really felt sick. And I thought, well, it's just everything ready for fertility treatments and so forth. And my body's just reacting to the grief. And it turned out that I was about literally two weeks pregnant wow. and um, I was pregnant with Chloe. And so right away I was just elated because I thought, oh my gosh, this is, you know, from, yeah. you know, sign from above, you know, And in, in the Hispanic culture, we believe that when someone dies, someone is born. And so I just thought life is good, you know, as good as it could be after my dad died. And, I thought that everything was all well and we were going to live the fairy tale. And so we got ready for the baby. And I think that I'm an over-preparer. And I thought that if I could control everything around my surroundings and I could make everything as nice and as neat and as beautiful around me, that everything was going to be okay. And there was always this feeling that there was something wrong. I've, I've talked about this a lot. I think that there's this maternal instinct that happens and right away, you just kind of feel that, you know, there's something wrong. And so we went to an ultrasound. So time goes and they put me on bed rest and I'm in Southern California because at the time we lived in Las Vegas. So me and Chloe's dad are separated because Chloe's dad's still working in Las Vegas and our home's still in Las Vegas. And I'm in Southern California. My mom is in a cardiac rehab and I'm on bed rest. And so it started to kind of unravel there. And so my mental health started to kind of decline and I started to feel very like distraught. And I got an ultrasound and they told me that my baby was a boy. And so I begged my doctor to please let me go home with Chloe's dad back to Las Vegas for Christmas. And I would be back New Year's day because my mother was coming out of cardiac rehab. Yeah. And so I begged and I begged and finally he gave in because I'm a pretty, I'm pretty convincing (laughs) I was so excited because I had been on a really strict diet. And so we got Kentucky fried chicken Christmas Eve. And we drove from Southern California all the way back to Las Vegas. And Chloe's dad was, is, is still to this day, a diesel mechanic. And so he would work graveyard shifts. And so me and my baby sat and we watched, I think it was a season of Real Housewives of, of Beverly Hills. And we ate, you know, Kentucky fried chicken, and I was so content. And about a day or so later, I started to feel what felt like a UTI. And so, uh, Chloe was at the time, like already kind of kicking and, um, she was already a daddy's girl. Like whenever she would hear her dad's voice, she would kick. So at six, at six months to the day, I gave birth prematurely, 24 weeks gestation. And I had Chloe and they told me she wasn't going to live through the night. And she lived for 57 days. And the thing about Chloe, if you were to ask me, what did Chloe, what was Chloe like? And a lot of people will say, well, how could you tell what she was like? She was, she was really strong, um, she was a fighter. She was really funny, really stubborn. Both of her grandmothers were really stubborn. She looked like both of her grandmothers by the face. And um, she looked a lot like her father. When her dad would come into the room, her heart rate would go up by at least 20 or, or 30 beats. And she had, you know, she was on a respirator most of her life. But mm-hmm. if she got off the respirator, she would like cry and like she didn't want the respirator back on. Like she she definitely knew. Um, She met all of her milestones and she was this baby that was just so smart and intelligent and present, right? Like there, there was so much about her that was alive. And so I think that that was what was the hardest part for us is because we knew that our child wanted to live and not being able to do anything while we watched her die. And that was, that was probably the hardest part. And yet, watching that really taught us to appreciate life. Mm-hmm. it It really changed my whole viewpoint on life as it is. Um, and uh, it's I'm so proud that my daughter is my daughter, you know, and and when yeah, yeah. you walk into the NICU and you know, every nurse and every doctor will tell you, Wow, your daughter's so intelligent, and she's too much, and she's got such a personality. And you know, they're they're mesmerized by her. It was such a it was such a a feeling that I've tried to recreate many ways since and before. Yeah, and I've never been able to being her mom. Yeah. yeah.
1: So you said you watched her die. So was she? Did she have a poor prognosis the whole way through, or was she doing okay for a while?
2: No, she was fine. She was meeting all of her milestones. Um, what happened is she developed NEC. So what NEC does is it, it destroys the gut. Mm-hmm. And so um, she developed NEC, and she went through seven surgeries.
1: Yeah. That's the uh, necrotizing enterocolitis for, for those who don't know. That's what that is. And that's a thing that oftentimes takes our little preemies as is-
2: yeah, the, it's
1: bacteria doing that yeah
2: it's the number one cause of infant death in the United mm-hmm. States
1: for, for premature infants yeah yes
2: mm-hmm. she didn't she did not develop NEC until January the 20th so she was born December the 29th and so she lived and she met all these milestones she weighed 1.9 pounds when she was born mm-hmm. and when she died she weighed almost six pounds. So she had oh. gained weight, and she was and she was really long because I'm, I'm almost five nine, and my husband's five ten, and my dad was six foot. We're we're tall, we're, we're tall, we're long, and um. So she was like twenty one inches. She was a tall baby, a long oh, yeah. baby.
1: Yeah. Oh, sweet thing, sweet thing. Yeah. So that certainly living in the NICU is tough and trying to be there. Were you? Where were you? Were you in California? Or were you in Las Vegas then?
2: No, we, we were in Las Vegas. We were at Centennial Hills and there's only one NICU in Las Vegas Valley Hospital. Um, and we were when I had her, I was at Centennial Hills. That was closer to our home. And so she w- and I were separated because I was hospitalized. The way that I gave birth to her is that I had a kidney infection. I developed a kidney infection and so it caused me to go into labor and my water to break. And so um, because of the dry birth and, you know, they were afraid I was going to go into sepsis and all that jazz, I was hospitalized. I was in the hospital for like three or four days. And so she was in the NICU, but her dad, Chloe's dad stayed in the hospital with her that whole time. And I think that's where it's really crazy because before that, like I mentioned, I never really wanted to be a parent. And, you know, I being so close to my parents and Chloe's dad being so close to his parents, like both of our sets of parents have been married, like Chloe's dad's parents who are both still alive. They're in my father-in-law's in in his nineties and my mother-in-law's in in her eighties, but they've been married, you know, 70 plus years. And my parents have been married 40 plus years before their deaths, but they've both been married. So we were, we understood the fact of having our parents there. So we understood the love of our parents, Yeah, but I never thought I always would think, Oh, my parents kind of smother me with their love. And they just loved me so much. And I could just feel their love all the time as crazy as that sounds. and, And what I would give to have that now, but I never thought that I could love anyone as much as like, I loved my daughter, but then I saw my, Chloe's dad and how much he loves her to this day, and how much they loved each other. And it was almost insane because I didn't think I could share anything with somebody else, and how much I love how they love each other. And so they stayed in the NICU together. And then when I got out, I went into the NICU, but then mom was in Southern California. So we had to go back and get mom. And then yeah. we were only allowed in the NICU so many hours a day. We weren't allowed to stay there 24 seven, which was, that was incredibly hard, but I will tell you that prepared me for her getting so sick and dying. And I don't mean, I, now let me be careful saying that because I'm going to get, get comments back on that. Obviously nothing can prepare you, but it did help me to be able to go and come yeah. versus yeah. having been there all the way through. Yeah. Because I think if I had been there all the way through, I wouldn't know how to come back from not being there anymore yeah. versus yeah. I would leave and I would come back and I would get to go home and shower. And so I think that's really important. Um, that's something that I really reiterate to parents is that you really have to get that break yeah. And I didn't know that before. I mean, I didn't want to leave and they, they force you out. And I think obviously they do that for your own mental health, your own sanity.
1: No question. No question. Yeah, it, absolutely. We definitely do that. It's not, I, you know, I worked for in the NICU for a long time too. So I'm a pediatrician. So I did all my training in the NICU and we never let parents stay all night and just at the bedside constantly. It's not good for anyone. So Um, You are correct there. Absolutely. So let's talk about, I'll talk about After Chloe. So you have a website now, After Chloe. I want you to talk about that time after Chloe and how After Chloe developed.
2: So Chloe lived for 57 days. And on the 57th day, she went in for her seventh surgery. And they tried to save the small gut. And when they came out, they took her into surgery about an hour earlier than they prepared to. And when they came out, I knew that she wasn't going to live. And when she came out, the surgeon told me that I had a choice to leave her on the respirator or to take her off. And Chloe's dad was Catholic and I had been raised Christian. And Catholics don't believe in taking anyone off a respirator. And Christians believe that we don't want anyone to suffer, right? There's a difference in belief, right? I think it's to each individual. Mm -hmm. So we talked about it and we ended up taking her off the respirator. And um, when we took her off the respirator, she died, I think at like two or three in the afternoon. And my mom and Chloe's dad were not prepared. And again, we're in Las Vegas and our families are in Southern California. And my dad had just died six months before that. And so I'm my mother's caregiver. And all of a sudden, this catastrophic event happens. So when I say I lost my mind, nothing that was prior to that moment, that 2:03 p.m. moment was ever again. Yeah. I was not ever or will ever be the same person that I had been. So in that moment, I no longer had a sense of sanity or a sense of reality. And so I threw myself into taking care of my mom because if I kept my mom alive, then that somehow everything was going to be okay. And I, I think I'd mentioned earlier that I had to kind of keep everything around me perfect. Yeah, yeah, right. in control. So we did a memorial for Chloe and we moved back to Southern California. Chloe's dad got a transfer through his job. Everything was going along. And so I go through our insurance. And so I go to the first grief therapist, the second grief therapist, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, 8th 9th 10th 11th 12th 13th 14th nobody spoke grief everybody kept talking about these five stages the five stages of grief talk are were designed by elizabeth kubler ross about hospice about somebody dying the stages of dying not about actual death and about there, it's not a linear thing. It's it's something that you process. Nobody processes it the same way. Yeah.
1: She doesn't even like how it turned out. I right. Mean, she doesn't like how people right. interpreted those stages because even she knows that's not accurate.
2: Or right. So, accurate. so I was like, why doesn't anyone know how to speak grief? And so at the time. I was reading uh, What Remains by Carol Roswell before she was a housewife about how she, her, her husband and the two best friends um, had died, and I was reading one of David Kessler's books. In fact, Chloe's in David Kessler's The Sixth Stage, The Meaning book, and I was reading those two books, and I still felt a void. And I thought, well, why isn't there somebody speaking about grief? And at the time now, now there's many, many resources now, but, but I'm talking at the time, Chloe died in 2011. So I had already had my degree in psychology. And so I was like, well, I I guess I'll go back to school for, you know, family and marriage counseling, because there's only a small sector of grief counseling in that genre. When you go back to that when you go back to school and when you get your your MFT is what it's called, there's only a small portion about grief counseling. yeah yep, it's not like a huge it doesn't take a lot, right? No, they don't. don't. I made it kind of my life's work between taking care of my mom, got my MFT. I started to study about grief and every culture, every every way that anyone grieves. And what I realized is that no two people grieve the same. Grief is different for everyone. And why aren't we talking about it? And so I, all I knew is that after Chloe, everything had changed. Well, now we're in 2012 and my mom dies. Mm -hmm. And I all of a sudden start having these like, Rages of grief. Oh, and by the way, Chloe's dad started having an affair. And so I'm by myself in the world. I don't know what's going to happen. I started to have like suicidal ideation. I just don't want to be alive anymore. And I thought, so I can either die or I can really turn this around. And I can decide to do something with it. And so I would go to March of Dimes because I, I, at the time I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know if I wanted to really like tie into like infant laws. And I met this couple and this couple, they did a YouTube channel. So I was watching it and I met this man, Michael Gebbin, and this man, Michael Gebbin told me, what are you going to do with, what are you going to do with what you have with your story? You have to tell your story. And I said, well, all I know is there's after Chloe. And I always knew that that is what I wanted to name whatever I wanted to do. And that's how after Chloe was born and his girlfriend, who's now his wife made a made a, made a logo. And obviously the logos evolved now. I mean, a lot's evolved I mean, the opportunities and the blessings that I have afforded with what after Chloe evolved to. So he said, I want you to go on to social media. I want you to do one platform. And I really liked Instagram. So I went on Instagram and I remember I got 100 followers and I told Chloe's dad, I'm going to be famous. I'm going to go on Oprah and sit on her lawn. I, You know, I had no idea what I was doing at the time. And I would go on Periscope and I would just tell my story. And people really resonated with my story. And so I think that I started to understand that the one common denominator that we all have is that everybody hurts Mm -hmm. and everybody feels the pain of loss. And even though we feel it differently, we can unite in being compassionate towards each other's pain. And to respect each other's pain by not thinking, well, why doesn't she or he or why don't they grieve the way that I do? And so after Chloe has really been a community and a space for people to grieve the way that they choose to grieve. So not only can they grieve, but they can live and they can grieve and they can also respect the fact that grief doesn't go away. But it doesn't mean that you have to stop living. It means that you can live and you can grieve.
1: yeah, I think about that. That's such a beautiful thing because when you're grieving, i've I've certainly felt this. You end up feeling judged. you' you feel judged by other people and how they think you're doing, and whether you're grieving like right or not right, or how she's still feeling like that, all of that kind of stuff. So that's what a community such as yours, I'm sure tries to help get rid of that a little bit, that judgment.
2: I think that I I used to really feel judged because I was at an age where I probably, according to who, but at the time society or my friends and family, especially coming from the culture that I came from, that you're supposed to have children. And so why are you not trying to have another baby? Why are you not having another child? Well, there must be something wrong with you or, you know, or why are, why is the widow widow not getting married again? Or what's wrong with you if you're not, you know, again, trying again. And so I really had to really embrace and become an advocate to make people understand that just as we should never judge anyone for the way they choose to live, we can never judge anyone for the way they choose to grieve. As long as we're not hurting ourselves, however we grieve, it's ours. And just like the love that, that remains. And and I believe that after Chloe has such effectiveness, because there is no, right or reason to be a member. The only right, the only way that you can be a member is, is if that you just respect yourself to advocate your own grief. That's the only, that's the only, that's the only space that you have to have to be a member. That's the only, you know, the only I, I don't even like to say the word, you know, um, to become for membership, but the only thing that you have to do is just to respect yourself and to respect that grief and to love yourself. And even though we probably can't love ourselves through our initial grief,
1: it's hard to,
2: it's probably it's to. impossible. Right. But we can at least respect that grief because I know that when Chloe first died, and I know that sometimes even now, sometimes I I I'm my hardest critic and there's so much self-judgment and I'm not doing it right. Or, you know, I look at someone like you, Marcy, and I I look at, you know, when you have a beautiful website and you're your beautiful child and and I think, oh, I'm just doing it all wrong. You know, I'm you know, I'm the worst, I'm the worst mom in the world. <laughs> you don't know have I mean? you know, and but then I have to really give myself grace. And, and, and really, really celebrate you as a mom and, and, and celebrate Adam's life and, and, and know that it's not just, it's not either or it's, and, and, and when I do that, then I can still love myself through this.
1: Yeah. I get that from other people. They'll write into me and be like, I would, I would love to be on the show and talk about my child, but I haven't done anything. They compare themselves to everyone else. That's what we do as moms. Mm-hmm. We do this horrible comparing like all these moms have come on. They've started a website. They've started a foundation. They've done, raised all this money or all of this stuff. and I haven't done anything. Honestly, getting up and persevering is a lot. That's a lot. Just, just the ability to get out of bed. If you're getting out of bed in the morning – and doing something that is more than I thought I could do at the beginning. Right.
2: Oh, it's more than I did. I mean, I I always joke with my hairdresser because I didn't comb my hair the first three, four years after Chloe died, after my mom died, I, I didn't wear makeup. I did. I let myself go. I gained 80 pounds. I, you know, when people, when I tell people how Chloe's dad had an affair and how we separated and then we, reunited, people will say, well, how did you take him back? But there's such an understanding as to sometimes you don't, you you can't help somebody. And so you have to take space and you have to separate and I'm not justifying what he did, but I understand and I can forgive and I, I, I respect it. And the reality is, is that what was he supposed to do? I was, you know, I was, I was like a lump on the, on the bed and I wouldn't get out of bed for days. I wouldn't, I wouldn't participate in living. I wouldn't breathe. I wouldn't get up. And he tried everything. We tried counseling. We tried lighting candles. We tried, you know, balloons and rise festivals and all those things. And none of those things work if you are not able to process those feelings. And a big thing of it is, is that we don't recognize the trauma yeah. of the death of your child.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, the death of a child is such a different experience because when you watch your child die, or when you experience the death of your child, there's such a helplessness. Yeah. And it's such, it's something that came within you from within you. And for me, I felt such a huge amount of trauma and I didn't understand that that was trauma because I'm a very logical person. And so I was like, well, it wasn't like I was in an accident and it happened. Mm-hmm. So how could that be trauma? And so I really had to really learn and make sense of the traumatic eff- effects that happened and that PTSD And different smells and songs and times of the year and all of those things for me to work through. And then the candle lighting and the rise festivals and the, you know, honoring and being able to do things like, you know, people say, I I can't do anything girl guy. I understand mom and dad, me too. I couldn't for many years. Like I didn't start after Chloe until 2015, Chloe died in 2011. Yeah. And I didn't participate, you know, the wave of light, infant infant pregnancy and infant loss awareness. I was just saying this because we're we're just coming off of wave of light. I didn't participate in the wave of light until 2018-19. Yeah. Didn't participate, didn't didn't advocate it for it, didn't talk about it because I'm not a hypocrite in the way that I will never tell you something that I don't do. I'll never tell you, hey, go and eat this and go and do this. And if if it doesn't work for me.
1: Right, right. I think that's a good point that you talked about the trauma, because I do think we all experience trauma. And I'm just thinking back to personal experience. So, you know, Andy, Andy was killed in a car accident and my son was in the car and my husband and I were in the car. My daughter wasn't in the car. And I, to be honest, I was never as worried about her having PTSD than I was with the rest of us, right? Because we were in the accident, we saw it happen. We, you know, saw the paramedics doing CPR. All of that was horrible trauma. My daughter has just as bad a PTSD from this accident, and we did, in some ways, worse. Because she wasn't there and it all just has to be in her imagination, right? It all just happened without her really seeing it. Suddenly her brother's just dead. Um, But I, I, you know, at the beginning, I certainly didn't think that of my two children, two remaining living children, that the one who was not in the car accident would suffer from PTSD and the one who is in the car, was in the car accident with us, didn't. I mean, it's just... It doesn't matter exactly, right? So from the outside, you can't always tell. So you were with Chloe for 57 days in the hospital. Probably from the outside, nobody would think you would have PTSD from this because you had 57 days of going down the swarble road and seeing this all happen, and then she died. It wasn't like this acute event, right? Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. yet you do. Yet you do. So I just thought that was an excellent point.
2: yeah, you know, and and I think, well, you know, like my Chloe's dad experienced our 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 his the oldest nephew, so the oldest grandchild of their family, he was murdered. Yeah. and yeah. um that happened in two thousand and nine. So two years before Chloe died. and it was their first death experience with death. And it was just from one day to the next, he was murdered. I mean, it's horrific. And it's horrific to be a victim of, of, obviously, of murder. And obviously, and I say victims because we are all victims of it. And we had to go through the trial and yeah. my poor my poor brother and, and, and sister-in-law. But the thing is, is that what ended up happening is, is that Chloe's dad had accumulated PTSD because that led into Chloe's death. And then my mother's death. And so he is very triggered by abandonment and all of those things. And, and, and I don't like to speak for him, but it's very weird. And I say weird because it's, you take two people that have had the same losses, just like your, your children and we totally process it differently. And it's very, it's very telling To tell society, nobody's going to process it the same. Nobody's going to, you could, me and you, Marcy, could go through the same exact loss and we're not going to feel the same way about it. We're not going to look the same way about it. We're not going to handle it the same way. Yet we are still both grieving. We're still both suffering. We're still both having pain. We're still both struggling with it. And we still both deserve the respect and compassion through it. Yeah. And that's really if 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 I could just say anything, if I could, if I could live with having a tattoo on my head, on my forehead, yeah, it would be like, have compassion.
1: Yeah.
2: I don't think it would really do that. And I just I'm not the <laughs> type of girl to have <laughs> tattoos on my face, but
0: <laughs>
1: well, and that's another great point is grieving as a couple and trying to do that and how sometimes you just can't, I, you know, I hear from a lot of different moms too, that so struggle with their husbands and how they're grieving and not be able to grieve together and like thinking, you know, he's just not grieving. I can't see it. And, but sometimes you do have to do it very, very differently and separately. I obviously also do not advocate your husband's affair, but I can see that sometimes you can't get it from each other, right? You can't get that support from each other and you you just might not have the capacity to be able to give what your loved one really needs, yes. right? And if you can't, I mean, it's a lot of pressure that I think women especially, well, men and women, I think we both put pressure to help our spouse. And when we can't, that's can be another loss, right? Another loss.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. And, and again, sometimes we don't know how else to handle it. Yeah. So yeah. when you see someone angry, or when you see somebody sad, or when you see somebody disconnect, or when you see somebody attach, or when you see somebody have an affair, or when you see somebody do, or when you see somebody overeat, or when you see somebody abuse drug or alcohol, there's always a reason as to why, right? There's, yeah. just, it just doesn't happen. Right. And right. The, the, for me, as always, looking for a logical answer I had to really make sense about grief we just don't grieve because we're grieving yes there's there's a loss of somebody but where is that grief coming from where does that degree grief derive from and and that's because there's so much to unpack because the loss of the person is just not this person is gone and now I have to learn how to live without that person that person is gone Now, how do I learn how to live with this person? And then what about their birthday? And what about Christmas? And what about their graduation? And what about their marriage? And what about me as no longer being their mom or their dad? I
1: I was thinking too, you have to redefine yourself. And so, and that's what definitely happened with you is you you redefined yourself from Chloe's mom to caretaker of my mom, right? You- just changed roles you were like still were a mother basically you were mothering your own mother to care for that and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden now that's gone and then that's why I think you got I'm sure so devastated right because you had instead of trying to really process your grief you just shoved it all one direction like Mm -hmm. this is how I'm going to live now I'm going to put myself in this character and this person this is what I'm going to do and then when that falls apart now you're really in trouble
2: yeah and I think I I look back then and like I I was just telling Chloe's dad the other day I was like I used to be so organized and I think when you really find calm I, I don't I don't like the word peace necessarily because I don't think I'll ever be peaceful again but I have found calm moments of calm moments of knowing that it's okay here and now I used to never think it was going to be okay again. And there's many moments that it's not okay. There's many moments that it's just impossible that my mom and my dad and Chloe, my daughter are not here. Yeah. And then there's moments that it's calm and I've made it through those moments, but every holiday season, every birthday, every, every reminder or when I get lost in who I'm supposed to be or when I feel as if I'm not yelling from the rooftops loud enough that we are allowed to grieve the way we want to grieve, then I will f- won't will feel that calm. Mm-hmm. But what I have come to know is, is that everybody figures it out. And unfortunately, many people that are lucky enough to have avoided grief. Yeah. Don't know yet. Yeah. But grief is not avoidable, unfortunately. No,
1: no, it's not. And I definitely appreciate you saying that there are still moments that you kind of can't believe this is your life in some ways because you're 11 years out. And yet you said, I can't believe that my mom's gone, my dad's gone, and Chloe's gone. And I definitely feel that way too. So Andy's been gone four years and I have moments where I go, what? How is this my life? How is this my life? How is he really gone? I, It just doesn't make sense in my head that he should really be gone. And I, certainly if you would have asked me probably six months or a year afterwards, would you would you still be having those feelings four years after Andy died? I definitely would have said no. I'm sure I would have said no. By then, I'll know it in my heart. And I won't have those moments of like, is this really real? But yet I still do. And it sounds like you still do. Oh, so I yes. guess maybe it will stay forever.
2: Oh, yes. There's a moment... I think every day since my dad's died, there's a second when I wake up and I'll forget that he's gone and he's been gone 12 years mm-hmm. and Chloe's been gone 11 years. And for Chloe, there's always that. I wonder.
1: Yeah.
2: And I think about her. We. We. Chloe's dad believes she went to heaven and I used to really worry because my dad used to comb my hair when I was young little and he never combed it right so Chloe had a lot of hair so I was worried like oh my gosh she's in heaven with like the worst hairdo in the world so I was really relieved when my mom died that she was gonna have like good hair um and while my mom was dying like she talked to me a lot like I think my mom was really worried like when she yeah. was dying she was like I don't want to leave you and I was like I'm fine you know I was like lying with my fingers crossed behind my back like you know I'm fine mom like you don't go and it was very dramatic very melodramatic pardon the pun but it was very dramatic in the sense that when she was dying she was like I I just don't are you going to be okay and I was like mom I'm going to be fine and she was like you know I'm going to come and find you and my, your dreams. And, you know, and it, it, it was horrific. You know, when she died, they had to give me a sedative and, you know, I was hysterical for, for, for weeks and I just had never been without my mom. Yeah. And I would wait for her to come into my dreams. And I have never dreamt my mom.
1: Yeah.
2: And my dad will come and my and Chloe comes, Chloe comes and she's always wearing this ugly avocado green dress and she's just nothing. Like if you saw her in my dreams, you wouldn't know she was my daughter because I'm, you know, I'm cute. You know, I was just very cute. She's she's definitely her father's daughter and um, she does not care about fashion just like her dad. And so I could definitely tell she would come in the dream and, but my mom doesn't come. You know, I've talked to some mediums and psychics and stuff and, and not that I dabble in that stuff, but again, it has to be logical to me. But I think my mom knows in her heart of hearts, like I'm okay, but it's very, it's very hard for me to fathom sometimes that they're not here and I will still go to call my mom or I will be startled by my dad. It's very sweet. Like I'll find a picture of him or, like there's something very sweet or like, I'll think, oh, I got to check my oil or, or like Chloe's dad is very much like my dad. So he mm-hmm. takes care of me in the ways that my dad would. But my mom, I'm always like, well, where are you? You know why wh- you've left me, you know? And so that is kind of startling to me because it didn't go the way I thought in my head it would go, but I don't know how that is, if that makes sense. I mean, how, how, how do you ever prepare and how is it supposed to be? You know, did I think she was going to come and, you know, it, was it supposed to be like a movie? No, obviously not. And so I think that's where I'm very much not prepared and I will never be prepared, but then, you know, we lost our, uh, the, the October after Chloe died Chloe's dad calls me and he says, I have something for you. And I was like, I don't want anything. I just, I want to lay down. And, you know, and he was like, I have something for you. And so he comes and he brings me in his palm, this, like, it looked like a rat. And it was this four day old red nose pit bull. And I took it to the vet and I was, and it got, somebody stole it from its litter because it was literally four days old. And so I had to get it in an incubator and feed him. And so it ended up being brother Garcia and he ended up weighing a hundred pounds, mostly his head and his jaw. And, um, he was my baby and I raised him. I fed him with a little bottle. I put him in an incubator. He, I don't know, he, I raised him. And so, you know, little diaper, I mean, he was my baby. And so I raised him and he passed away this past April. He was, Mm -hmm. I I think, yeah, he had just turned 10 in, in um, in the October before that. And so in April, he died March 23rd, he died. And so when he died, it brought up a lot for me and um, it brought back all of it. And when he died, My first thing was because my mother loved animals and she just loved dogs and she loved having them. And so the first thing I wanted was my mother. And so moments like that, that you are reminded of what you don't have are impossible. And I, I, I don't think anyone, you know, when, when people are like, I'm a grief expert, I'm like, really? Wow. Tell me, I went to Harvard and I'm a grief expert. And I just don't understand that with all due respect. And, and I mean, again, many of my colleagues and my really close friends of mine have gone to Harvard and they will not say that they're experts in grief. That's a very big statement, powerful statement. And I will challenge you all day long because there is no way for you to be an expert in somebody else's emotions and feelings. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're saying you are now. If you're an expert in perinatal health, if you're an expert in women's reproductive health, if you're an expert in mental health, there's a difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Grief expert. Mm -hmm. I don't think any of us are experts. I think that we're just all trying to get along and I am never going to tell you how to feel or what to do. And I wish, I wish I could give you a pill or a method or a way to take away the pain, I just, I don't have that power. I don't have that expertise.
1: And nobody does. And, but people kind of wish that you did. (laughs) Certainly hope that you did. I, you know, I've said this on the podcast, I think just recently about how, you know, when I was a mess after Andy died and I'm crying and I'm like, I can't sleep and I'm just awful. And what do my friends say? you should go see your doctor. Go see your doctor. Like they'll be able to somehow help me, which is ridiculous because <laughs> I'm a doctor. I know you, I know you can't help it. And uh, fortunately I had a really good doctor. I had a really good doctor who said, you are grieving. This is normal. I wish I could give you a medication to make it better, but I can't. I could can, you know, if you can't sleep, I can give you something for sleep. But I can't make the grief better. And
2: I do think that there is medication interception when it's appropriate. I do think that there is medication therapy. Right, right.
1: And when I had to go on medication for my PTSD, I did. I did, and there's no question about that. And And I went
2: on antidepressants when, when called for. I did do antidepressants twice throughout my personal grief journey. I'll be honest, during COVID, I did go on antidepressants because what it brought up for me, for about a year, and then you wean off, and then you know again. That's my own personal preference, and I don't usually communicate that because I don't want to ever advocate or encourage somebody. But I do, I do advocate for people to go to their medical doctor. I do advocate to get your hormones checked. I do advocate to make sure that your cortisol levels aren't too high, that your thyroids in check, that your hormones are in check. Because let me tell you, all of that played a factor into my inability to get out of that being that lump on that bed. That's
1: That's a good point. That's a good point. I just did want to bring up that fact that we can't just make it go away. You can't just suddenly just snap your fingers and have it be gone because it just doesn't work that way. It takes just a lot of time and a lot of hard work and, and a lot of soul searching really to be able to go through that too.
2: And with the thing about expert, you know, I think that there's a lot of good, good providers out there. I think that there's, you know, David, they don't make them like David Kessler. You know, David Kessler is a grief counselor, specialist, licensed therapist. And, but David Kessler has also dealt with his own loss. And I think that that changes the game. I think that when a professional goes through their own loss, then it creates a certain dynamic of compassion. Yeah. And I do think that we as loss parents, as those that have lost someone that we love, have the right to interview a licensed professional that's going to work with us on such an intimate level to say, do you have experience personally and professionally with loss. Yeah. And that's not an offensive question to ask when you're trying to fight for your life. Do you agree Marcy? Oh, I totally
1: do. I I'm sort of chuckling because I my, my daughter has a therapist and I anyway, there was something that I was doing that she thought was not good and and that I need to work on whatever. And I, I actually came out and said to her I said, "Have you ever worked with a grieving parent before?" And she said, "No." And I said, "Well, there you go." Because every parent who's grieving feels this way. And I thought I thought, "Honey, you just I'm just going to put you down right in your place right there because you can't judge me because she was judging me on something that I was doing because I after you've lost one child, you do have a fear of something oh, to another child yes. and yeah. what was bothering me was if I would call and get no answer and text and get no answer and no answer and no answer and would go days without hearing from her I I would get so anxious and it was really bad for me and and so I had talked to my therapist about it and my therapist said you need to be honest with your daughter about this and tell her what it's doing to you when she's not responding. And then her therapist said, you can't do that to her because now you made her feel so guilty like she's a horrible daughter. And that's when I, that's what I just said, you've never got with a grieving parent before, have you? Because I needed her to understand that if she sends me a thumbs up emoji, at least I know she's alive. Mm-hmm. And going three, four days and hearing nothing, I the mind ends up going to the worst because it's happened. It's not an unreasonable fear that your child has died when you've already had one die. Like that isn't unreasonable to me, right? And that's when she was like, well, this is something you just need to work on. No, this is something we need to work on together because I just need a little bit of a response. I don't need a lot. I don't need a whole interaction. I just need a little bit of response, knowing that she is okay. Right. But that's, that's what I've kind of gotten to that point of, I'm not going to have patience for you. If you have no knowledge in this whatsoever, like, please do not judge me.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amen. I love it. I love it. Think though, that as grieving parents move through it, and as, as a grieving parent is different than any other type of loss. Mm-hmm. Because again, there are other losses that happen in the course of time when you lose your parent, not that it's an easy loss, but it is a loss that is expected to happen right in some right. course of your law lo- timeline yes. of your adult life, right? Losing a grandparent, Losing, you know, but when you lose a child, it feels—and I hate the word "unnatural," but that's the only descriptor that I know to use. Yeah. It's an unnatural process, and so your 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 physical psyche, your emotional psyche, your spiritual psyche—you don't even know how to process it. Right, and yet the whole other gamut of this is—is is everyone else keeps on going? Everyone else keeps on living. You, you, you have everybody in the peanut gallery telling you how you should be, what you should be doing, what you should be feeling, what you should be saying. Don't say this. Cause it's going to make so-and-so feel like this. You don't want to make so-and-so feel bad. You don't want to bring up your dead baby because that's going to make somebody feel uncomfortable. They didn't want to invite you to their baby shower because you know, you were going to talk about your dead baby. Right.
1: Right. I totally agree. Mm-hmm. So, so hard. So hard. So how can people kind of hear from you and on your get involved with your website and things like that?
2: So I have a website called afterchloe.com. I love to hang out on Instagram. I'm still trying to get on Oprah's lawn. Just kidding. <laughs> I don't even know if Oprah still goes on the lawn. Does she still go on the lawn? I don't even I know. No but I, I do hang out a lot on Instagram. I have a couple of Facebook groups over on Facebook. And uh, people still Facebook. I don't really Facebook, but I do have Facebook groups that I do go and hang out on. And I do have an annual online summit that I host. It's a holiday summit. And basically, I like to give that to anybody in my community. And it's a whole bunch of different um, resources and tools for a whole bunch of different grievers. Mm -hmm. that it's jam packed with different speakers that are different types of providers and have different viewpoints about grief and how to handle the holidays. And so I do offer that in December.
1: So how can people find out about that? Is that an online thing or is that in person? What is that?
2: Yeah. If you join my community, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you'll get like emails and stuff about it starting in mid, mid November.
1: Well, thank you. And thank you so much for sharing Chloe with us today and sharing your your vast grief knowledge. I will not call you an expert because that will make you angry. But No,
2: I don't like the word expert. (laughs) But thank you so much, Marcy. Well, thank you.
0: Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful and would like to support the podcast, please leave a five-star rating and comment. To help financially, you can text Andy's Mom to the number 53555 or visit the donate page on andysmom.com. Your donations are secure and tax-deductible, and we are now able to accept Venmo, PayPal, and Apple Pay. Always Andy's Mom is a registered 501c3 organization and can receive donations through smile.amazon.com Thrive in Financial, and Benevity, amongst others. Marcy loves hearing from listeners. Please feel free to reach out to her via email at marcy at Also, be sure to sign up for the email list to receive weekly updates as well as pictures of all of Marcy's guests and their children. Together, let's work to inspire hope one day at a time.